All right, turn with me, if you would, back to Ecclesiastes 3, 14. This is uh, the third week we've been looking at this particular passage. In the last two weeks, we've been dealing with some objections to the uh, content of that passage. Ecclesiastes 3.14, go ahead and I'll read the verse here, and we'll bow and have prayer and ask the Lord to be with us, then I'll recapitulate just a little bit to get us back into where we're at today, a little brief synopsis for those who weren't here last week, and uh, we'll move forward from there. Ecclesiastes 3.14, it says, I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it, nor anything taken from it, and God doeth it that men should fear before him. Father, we come to you this morning fully aware, as best as we can, as best as you enable us, knowing that you are the sovereign God of all things, the creator of all, the mighty God, king, eternal, immortal, the God of salvation, the God of creation, the God of all things. Nothing has been done, nothing has been made that has not been made by you. Lord, we thank you today for who you are. We thank you today for all that you have done. We praise your name for the mercy and the grace that we find in the Lord Jesus Christ. As we gather today, Father, we thank you for the fellowship of the brethren that we have. The word of God that's been given to us to declare the things of Christ. We pray that the Spirit will be with us today to help us in our worship. But even as we just sang, Lord, the things of our heart has been brought by the Spirit of God to be able to declare those hymns with the hope of assurance, Lord, that these things are ours. Lord, we pray that you just give us uh, this morning the understanding, the teaching of the Spirit. But as we look at these things, that we not put man on a pedestal, that we might declare the works of men or the uh, accomplishments of men, but Father, that we might praise and honor the Lord Jesus Christ, that we might preach him and preach him crucified and the work that he has done on the behalf of his people. Lord, may we glory in that always. May you keep us faithful in the preaching of the gospel. Lord, I pray for all those who are here and all those who may be watching or listening. Lord, I pray that you just might speak and minister to them without the Spirit's teaching, without the Spirit's giving understanding. Lord, it's all in vain. So we ask now, Lord, that you just might open up these things to us today and that you might proclaim Christ to us. And Lord, that we might faithfully uh, put forth the truth as it's found in God's Word. May you help me keep from evil and from uh, error. Lord, I pray that you just might... Uh, I guide my thoughts this morning, 
that you might give me the things to say, Lord. Without you giving me the utterance, all the words that I will say will be in the wisdom of man, which is no wisdom at all, especially as it pertains to the things of God. Lord, I thank you that you have uh, given us this time together, and may you bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we began looking uh, two or three weeks ago at uh, this particular verse, Ecclesiastes 3.14. And of course, if you remember the very first message that we looked at, this is in the context of um, Solomon writing about the fact that everything that there is on this earth that has been created in the created order uh, has been created by God, for God, and everything down to the most minutest detail has been given a time and a purpose for all of it. Everything, and we read there's a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, time to pluck up that which is planted, time to kill, time to heal, time to break down, time to build up, etc., etc. Everything has its time, and at the end of it, uh, Solomon uh, said that, uh, that he has seen the travail which God had given to the sons of men to be exercised in this, this life that we've been given, this time of seasons of, of positive and negative, of good and evil, of bad and good, uh, of, 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 uh, of, uh, uh, of, of gain and loss, all the things that we experience in this life, God has purposed that. And that purpose was made at the beginning before the foundation of the world. It was God's eternal purpose and everything in that eternal purpose is being brought out in this time. And God has seen to it that everything that he has purposed is doing that. And he is, as the word used here in verse 10, is exercising men in those things. So everything that happened to us is uh, by God's purpose. It's not by chance. We just sang, right? We just said that we don't believe in chance and we don't uh, believe that uh, there is uh, uh, luck or fate. Uh, we don't believe those things. Everything is purposed by God. So nothing happens by chance. It isn't by chance that you're here today. It wasn't by chance Daniel wasn't here, that he didn't feel good last week. It wasn't by chance. It was by God's purpose. It wasn't by chance that you wore that blue shirt today. It was by God's purpose. And people say, well, that's crazy. That's God doesn't pay any attention to what clothes we wear. Does not the Bible say to not make any pay any attention to what we wear or what we do or anything like that? That God is got all that taken care of, that every sparrow that falls, he knows about it. Every hair on our head, if God knows every hair on our head that is, and is counted and he knows all those things, and everything, does he not know and already have purpose what I'm going to wear today? I mean, we do believe that every minute detail of everything is exactly according to God's purpose. I didn't wear this shirt today apart from God's purpose. Otherwise, I wouldn't have worn this shirt. If God purposed for me to wear my red shirt, I wouldn't have worn my red shirt today. Which, matter of fact, I got my red shirt out to wear today, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I decided, well, I'm going to put this on instead of red shirt, and wore this. Well, was it because I changed my mind? No, it was because God had purposed that today I would wear the blue shirt. Well, some will say, well, no, you just chose to do that instead of the other. God doesn't make those simple choices for us. The Bible says that man deviseth his ways, but it's God that directs his steps. 
I devised to wear my red shirt this morning whenever I got up, got my clothes out of the closet, went to start getting ready. I got all that out. But guess what? God directed my steps, and here I am in a blue shirt. <laughs> and some people think, well, that's just crazy. That's just frivolous stuff that God isn't involved in and isn't even... He's got bigger things to worry about, brethren. The Bible says that all these things uh, have been given by God and is in the exercising of them and his people. And he says this, He hath made everything beautiful in his time. Also, he hath set the world in their hearts so that man cannot find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. And I know that there is no good in them but for a man to rejoice and do good in his life. And also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is the gift of God, eating and drinking. How how much mundane and simple could that be? But yet God has purposed all that and it is a gift of God. And so that is the context of verse 14, that basically everything that's been said before is, it doesn't matter what is going on in this world, every event Everything that is happening is happening because it is God that doeth it. Whatever God doeth, it shall be forever. Meaning that what God has purposed, that purpose is not going to change. That purpose is forever set. That purpose is forever ingrained in in, in its accomplishment. Because God has promised that he is going to fulfill all the pleasure that he has. All of his will will be done. People are out here saying, well, that's against God's will. That's not according to God's will. Well, you're out of God's will. Listen, if it's out of God's will, then it's out of God's control. And if it's out of God's control, then God is not in control. And if God's not in control, then he's not God. God is in control of everything. Therefore, everything that is going on is going on because God wills it to happen. And if God wills it to happen, he willed it to happen because it was his purpose. And if it was his purpose, that purpose was before the foundation of the world. And if it was before the foundation of the world, that means that your decisions didn't make it happen. And if your decisions doesn't make it happen, then that means that everything that's happening is happening because God designed it to be that way, and God, as it says right here, is the one who doeth it. It shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it. That means nothing can be added to what God God made a plan, and now you're going to add something to it to help it out or to make it better or to further it along, and nothing can be taken from it. You can't say, well, God, I don't think we ought to do this. This this isn't right here. This isn't right here. Nothing can be taken away from it, and God doeth it. And why does God do things this way? Why has God predestinated everything and every event, particularly salvation, but everything that ever happens, God has controlled everything, and nothing can be put to it and nothing can be taken away from it. Why has God done that? So that men should fear before Him. So that men would show reverence To God as God. So that men would fear before God and show reverence and praise and honor and glory to God. So that they would know. Plus, the other reason that God does that is because he will share his glory with nobody. 
Man cannot put their hands to it. Man cannot take their hands away from it. Nothing can happen apart from God's doing so that man can't ever say, I did this, I did that. You wouldn't have been able to do that without me. Or I stopped you from doing that. A lot of people think that they can hinder God, that they can stop God, that they can keep Him from doing something or accomplishing something. But God will do all His pleasure, the Bible says. And right here, He says very clearly, I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. God doeth it so that men should fear Him. And so we talked uh, last week, or the, the first week, we talked about how that shows forth God's sovereignty of all things. But as it pertains to salvation, when we look at this verse in light of the work of Christ Jesus on behalf of his people in the justifying of sinners, in the salvation and the redemption of of his people, we see also that nothing can be put to it and nothing can be can be taken away from it. And it is God that doeth. It isn't God and man that doeth it. It isn't God plus the preacher, God plus the sinner who receives it. That isn't what makes the salvation happen. It isn't God plus anything. Now, the theological technical term that everybody uses for that is synergism. It's not a synergistic work. Synergism means the work of more than one. A a group effort. One plus somebody else effort. But monergism, that's the opposite word, the theological 50 cent word. Monergism, monergistic work, means the work of one. Salvation is the work of one, and that's God. Salvation is of the Lord. One person is responsible for salvation. Not God plus you. Not Jesus plus me. Not Jesus and my faith, not Jesus and my uh, uh, belief, not Jesus and my repentance, not Jesus and my baptism, or Jesus and my church membership, or Jesus and my obedience and law keeping. It is Jesus that is the <laughs> salvation of his people. And so nothing can be put to it, nothing can be taken away with from it. So whenever we talked about that on the first week, and we showed that nothing, and especially in salvation, nothing has anything to do with the person in its salvation. And not even the preaching of the gospel has nothing to do with the salvation of God's people. God's people were saved by the objective work of Christ Jesus alone. His faithfulness justified his people. His substitutionary death saved his people. So we came and we saying, well, if that's the case, then there was people that had objections. Well, wait a minute. That's not right. If that's the case, then why do we even preach the gospel? And that's what we dealt with last week. Objection number one last week was, why do we preach the gospel? Um, But if we remember back to last week, we saw that the preaching of the gospel is not to make people saved. The preaching of the gospel is to bring good news to those who are saved. The ones who are saved are not saved because I preach to them and this word engrafted into their heart by the 
sound of my voice preaching to them and it coming in their ears and quickening their heart and them being saved. And without this preacher or any other preacher preaching this message to them, they could have never been saved. That's not how salvation works. Salvation is not something that is an ongoing thing. God is not saving people legally anymore. It was a one-time thing. Christ came and once for all made eternal redemption for his people. Christ and his coming and dying was the one thing that was needed for salvation. His obedience was the obedience for all of our obedience. If we're, if we're God's people, every obedience that God has required of us by his law has been accomplished, not in our flesh, but in Christ, our substitute. The death that we deserve because of the transgression of the law, Jesus Christ also as our substitute, not only in our life, but in our death, came and substituted. He substituted our death instead of our flesh, our death, being put to death on that cross for crimes because the righteous requirement of the law is that sin must be condemned in the flesh. Sin must be condemned in the flesh. Well, instead of sin being condemned in our flesh, it was condemned in his flesh. That's why he came made of flesh. So that he might be the substitute for his people and die that substitutionary death. Now everybody in the world is, is grateful and just cheers and just talks about, oh, how wonderful it was that Jesus died in my place. That whenever he was nailed to the cross, that was as if I was nailed to the cross. Whenever he died, I died. Whenever he was put in the grave, I was put in the grave. Whenever he rose up from the grave, I rose up from the grave. And everybody's good about that. But not too many people want to say, well, whenever Jesus kept all the law, I kept all the law. Therefore, I have perfect obedience before God. No, they want to keep adding that. That we, Well, we still got to keep, keep up that obedience to be right with God. No, Jesus was right with God for us. Jesus died before God for us. The life and the death was substitutionary. So the preaching of the gospel does not save anybody. Christ already did that. The preaching of the gospel is to bring that good news to the open ears of those who have been saved. Those whom God has quickened, who has been given ears to hear and eyes to see. who has been given a heart to receive and believe, those are the people that the gospel is to be preached to. That's the ones who are the message for. See, this message isn't for the reprobate who God did not die for. It's not for the goats who God did not die for. Christ. So the objection is that if God has done it all and salvation is objective and has nothing to do with anything we do, then there's no need to preach the the, the gospel. The reason that people say that is because they don't understand the purpose of the gospel. They don't understand salvation. They don't understand the gospel at all. Because if they understood the gospel, they would know that the gospel was Christ for salvation. 
and that that gospel message is the declaration to those whom he did save to tell them the good news of their salvation. The purpose of preaching the gospel isn't to get people saved, but to declare unto them their already salvation. That's the purpose of the gospel. Why am I preaching the gospel today? It's to declare the good news that for all those for whom Christ died, they have already been saved and justified before God. Their sins have been blotted out. Their sins have been covered. There is no more condemnation for sin. There is no penalty for sin. There is going to be no wrath of God upon you. And that Christ has obeyed the law on your behalf. And that you stand before God, holy and blameless. That's why I preach the gospel. That's why we preach. So the objection, so the objection last week, why, why, well we should just stop preaching the gospel if that's the case. No, that's because the purpose of the gospel is to declare the good news and to comfort those. The Bible says, comfort ye, comfort ye my people. Speak, speak comfortably unto the people and tell them that their sins have been covered, that they've been blotted out. Tell them that their redemption has come. Tell them that they have been forgiven. Tell them that they have been purchased by blood and that that blood has cleansed them of all their sins. That's what the gospel is for. It's to comfort those. Not only to bring the message of good tidings to those who have been given ears to hear, but to also comfort the soul. To keep them in that state of rest whenever they hear the gospel. We, we enter into that rest and we believe on Christ and we hear Christ and our faith is renewed every day and our soul is renewed every day because we continue to hear the good works of Christ on our behalf. That's why we preach the gospel. That's why we preach the gospel to those who are already saved. See, the mentality of the world today is we preach the gospel to those who are not saved so that we can get them saved. And then once we get them saved, then we get them into the church and then we tell them how they have to live. That's not how it works, brethren. The preaching of the church is to continually preach the gospel, whether it's in here or whether it's out there, because it's the preaching of the gospel that is the food to the soul of the child of grace. To the goat, to the religious person, the preaching of the law is food. Give me that law preaching. Give me my list of demands that is is due me, and I'm going to go out and do my responsibility and my duty so that whenever it's all done, God's going to pat me on the back and say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Enter into the, the, the joy of the Lord. Your reward is waiting for you. Here's all the crowns that I'm going to put on your head. And oh, by the way, once you get all these crowns, turn around and give them right back to me. Brethren, that's not what the preaching of the gospel is for. So that objection is asinine because that person that asked that question doesn't know the gospel, doesn't know the purpose of the gospel. Now, today I want us to look at a another objection that comes up whenever you preach this, and it's kind of like the one we looked at last week, so then we don't need to preach the gospel. The objection that we also hear whenever we preach 
sovereign grace and predestination, especially whenever they're joined together in, in, in the work of salvation, is, well, if that's true, then why does the Bible say that, that we need preachers? The importance of preachers. You know, then why did God give us preachers? If, if that's the case, if, if everything is done by God, if everything is ordered by God, if everything is predestinated and election is true as you say it's true, then why do we even need preachers? Don't we need preachers to hear the gospel? The Bible says we need preachers to hear the gospel. And turn with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 10, because this is the verse that they always want to run to. Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, and usually they want to run to um, verses 14 through 17. It says, How then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Oh my, we're in a dilemma here. No one's going to get saved if there's not a preacher. We have to have a preacher. Boy, the papists love that. The papists love the sound of that, especially those those bishops, those priests, the Pope. Oh, they love to hear this preaching right here because that puts them right square dab in the middle between man and God. Remember, brethren, there is only one mediator between God and man, and that's the man, Jesus Christ. But yet, the preacher out here is saying, without the preacher, without the preacher, you can't be saved. Without preaching the gospel, to if someone doesn't come and preach you the gospel, you can't be saved. Who is now putting salvation at the hands of somebody else besides the one mediator, which the Bible says is Jesus. There's only one mediator of salvation, whether it's in the act of the salvation or the administration of that salvation, the experiential part of it. Either way, that is by Christ and Him alone. It's not by man. Man does not mediate salvation. That's what the papists teach. That's why this is in so many of these harlot churches out there is because they are still clinging on to a lot of the harlot teaching of the Catholic Church. That you have to have a preacher to mediate for you. You have to have a preacher to go before God before you. That's why they come and want the preacher to pray for them. That's why they come and want the preacher to give them uh, some kind of a, a, a psychology uh, session to, te- to tell them what they need to do in their life. That's why they come and think that the, the preacher is the one who has to get them saved. Oh, if I'm not married by a preacher. Oh, if I'm not baptized by that preacher. <clears throat> they put everything in the hands of the preacher as if the preacher is the one that mediates grace. As if the preacher is the one who mediates salvation. That God has left salvation in the hand of the preacher and it's the preacher's duty to take this message out and get it out there and to administrate God's salvation on behalf of God. Brethren, that is not how salvation works and that is not the purpose of the preacher. 
But it says right here, how shall they hear without a preacher? Now look at verse 15. And how shall they preach except they be sent? Somebody's got to send the preacher. Got to have the church there to send the preacher. How shall they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. So there's the question. Well, preacher, you're saying it's all apart from anything that man does, and even the preaching of the gospel has nothing to do with the salvation of man. But right here, Paul makes it very clear they cannot hear, they cannot call on a God, that the, a Christ that they do not have, have known or that they have not believed on. How how can they do that if they have not heard, if they don't have a preacher, and if nobody has sent somebody to preach to them? How are they going to? How they? That's why we got to have these mission boards. That's why we got to have all this mission money. That's why we got to send all these men to all the four corners of the world to, to, to go out into the oogie-boos of Africa to get the guys with the big giant plates in their lips and the big giant things hanging off their ears and the and the guys with painted faces are going to the hearts and depths of India where all the people have all these thousands of gods to preach to them the truth so that they can get saved because without a preacher, they're not going to get saved. Because they have to have somebody sent to them so that they can hear and so that they can believe. Brethren, as I read this in the context of chapter 10, I do not see verses 14 and 15 as an argument of Paul in the affirmative that this is what needs to be done so that salvation can take place, but yet he is using this, if you mind me the word, in the sarcastic. He is using this in the sarcastic. These are the questions coming up to those who don't know the gospel. Are these verses in the Bible? Absolutely they are. Paul is actually quoting Isaiah 53 in this passage here. It's quoted in other places in Scripture. But what is Paul using this for? He's using this because they have misunderstood what those passages that he is quoting, they've misunderstood how they are in their context and in the overall context of Scripture. And people, whenever we come to this uh, this issue of, is the gospel what regenerates? And again, that's the bad word for it, but that's the word that everybody uses. So I'm using that so people know what I'm talking about, gospel regeneration. That the gospel preaching is what brings regeneration to people, Whenever people believe that, whenever people are saying that you have to have a preacher preaching so that salvation can take place, they are saying that because they are ignorant of the clear teachings of Scripture, and they're taking these obscure passages of, of, of that, and they are pressing upon them their theological thoughts, their traditions, and they're trying to make it something that it's not. Remember, we got to go to the clear and plain things so that we might be able to interpret those things which are cloudy. And we know for a fact that the Bible teaches that no man believes on his own. That faith is a gift of God. It isn't created in our heart. It isn't brought into being by our making a decision. It isn't something that we just, I'm taking my faith from here and I'm putting it over here now. That is not what faith is and no one can create or make or 
work out or exercise faith. Faith is something that is given by Christ. And it is given in measure by Him. It's meted out. That's what that means. In measure is given in its amount. In its however much God gives you to believe. How deep He gives you to believe. How much He gives you to believe. What exactly He's given you to believe up to this point. We grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? So then our faith increases as God teaches us. Well, Jake's just snooting away down there. <laughs> That's not any of the people here snoring for those who are watching. <clears throat> That's my dog. <clears throat> we have a misunderstanding. The Bible clearly teaches that it has been given unto you on behalf of Christ to believe. Acts 13, 48, one of the watershed verses that God used in, in bringing me to the understanding of, of, of um, uh, sovereign grace. It said, those who were ordained to eternal life believe. The only ones who ever believe are those who are ordained to eternal life. And those in Philippians 1.29, wherever, where it says that it has been given on behalf of Christ that you believe. It's been given to you to believe. So belief or faith is not something that is just exercised. It isn't something that the preacher, whenever he speaks and those words come in, it just creates faith in them. Faith is something that is inputted into our heart, not into our mind, into our heart. Just because somebody has the knowledge of sovereign grace, predestination, election, justification by Christ alone, just because they have knowledge of that doesn't mean that they have heart. And I've heard preachers even say, well, that's a, that's a dichotomy, that's, that's a stupid debate and everything. You can't separate the mind from the heart. You have to know in the mind to be able to believe in the heart and all this kind of stuff. I say that it comes to the heart first, and once it comes to the heart first, the mind begins to understand what's been put into the heart. Because the Bible says that I will take out of them a heart of flesh and put into, or a heart of stone and I will put into them a heart of flesh and I will write my laws on their hearts and in their minds. There is a dichotomy there. There is a split between the head and the heart. And it is with the heart that one believeth unto salvation, not with the mind. It isn't with the mind that one believes unto salvation. So amassing knowledge of this. You kids that are here, just because you grew up listening to this your whole entire life, might have the knowledge of sovereign grace and the verses that we quote all the time and all the preaching that I've ever done. You might have it in here, but until God puts it in here, and only God can put it in here, where you actually believe that to be true. That not only do you believe it to be true, but you hope on it as the truth. That is your hope. You no longer have hope in anything else but that. That's the only way that a man can be saved and only the way that man comes to know his salvation is whenever God puts that into the heart. So we have to take the clear and plain things which teaches us that the ones who believe are the ones who come to Christ are the ones that God has given him. So it's the elect of God, the sheep of God. Those are the ones coming. Right? Now, so let's go though, because Paul goes on to say, look at verse 16. And this is why I say he said this in sarcasm. 
He gives them the question. Because in verse 13 he says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so everyone says, hey, there you go. Whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Lord only saves those who call upon him. And then he goes right into, well, then how shall they call on him if they've not believed? And how shall they believe in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? Like it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good tidings. Glad tidings of good things. But look at verse 16. This is why I think it was sarcasm. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, or they've not all submitted to the gospel. Here's the here's the issue that Paul is bringing up. Paul is going into the fact of what he started in verse in chapter nine. Actually, he started back way before that, but especially in chapter nine, why some believe and why some don't believe, why some are saved and why some are not saved is by God's choice. Election was by God's choice. The, the twins having neither done good or bad so that the purpose of God according to election might stand, he chose one and not the other. See, it's God's choice. Why are some believing the gospel and why are some not believing the gospel? And in context here, why are some Jews believing and some Jews not believing if we're all supposed to be the people of God? And Paul is saying, here's the thing. We're not all the people of God. It's only those who are the spiritual Jew that is the real people of God. And those are the ones who are the only ones who will believe. And those are the only ones whom God has given faith. Those are the only ones for whom Christ died. Those are the only ones whom God will have come to him. And so Paul is continuing that same argumentation. And here he is dealing with the objections, just like he did in Romans 9, whenever someone says... But someone will say, well, why hast thou made me thus? He was using sarcasm. He was using argumentation to prove a point. And here he's doing it again. He's saying, well, if it's the case of God's deal, then how are they going to believe it? How are they going to call upon the name of the Lord if nobody goes and tells them about it? And Paul's saying, wait a minute. Someone had, look, look back in our history. The gospel was being preached to these people. The gospel has been preached to them. The gospel was preached. Verse 16, but they have not all obeyed or submitted. That word obeyed there means submitted. They've not submitted to the righteousness of God, but tried to establish a righteousness of their own. They didn't submit to that righteousness. They haven't obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? So now he's appealing back to Isaiah 53 and verse 1. Isaiah 53, 1. Turn to Isaiah 53, 1. Let's look. This is what Paul's argument is. He's going back to Isaiah. He's saying, well, how, you know, how can they believe if we don't send somebody to preach to them? They ain't going to get saved unless you send a preacher to them. And I'm, I'm, I'm advocating that he did send a preacher to them. He sends a preacher to every one of his sheep. But it's not me. It's not you. It's not anybody else that sends that message. That message is sent to comfort you in the initial message, in the initial teaching. 
But the, I put forth that the teacher, the preacher, the one who is doing the preaching is Christ by the Holy Spirit. Christ is preaching to every one of his people by the Holy Spirit in the heart before ever there is a word that comes in their ears. They first have, just like we talked about last week, the ground has to be made good before the seed can take root. The seed doesn't do the root, rooting and making it good. <clears throat> I'll give you that example last last week. I throw a seed out in that yard. Some seed grows and makes nice grass. Some seed don't do nothing. Well, do I look at that seed and say, what's wrong with you? Get the wiggling down in that dirt. No, somebody's got to come and make the ground good before the seed will take root. <clears throat> the ground has to be made good. Well, does the preacher make the ground good? No. Does this being read or preached make the ground good? No. What makes the ground good? The quickening spirit of God giving that person eyes to see, ears to hear, heart of flesh to receive the things of God. That's what makes the ground good. Because before that we are dead in trespasses and sin. Before that, our heart is stone. Before that, our eyes are blind. Our ears are deaf. Before that, we cannot understand. We cannot perceive the things. The Bible says, The carnal man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. So until the Spirit of God changes the heart, changes the mind, gives ears to hear and eyes to see, then the Word of God can be preached all day long and it will have no effect. So there is no effectiveness in the preacher preaching this unless the Spirit of God has first come and taught that person that this is true. And when the preacher speaks this to a heart already made true, or already made new, then that truth is received and says, that is the truth. Why does it all of a sudden know that it's true? Because it's already been told it's true. It's already been given faith that faith clings to that which is true. Faith is a substance of things hoped for. What is the things hoped for? His salvation is mine. Him for me. He was my substitute. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. My hope is that Christ has done it all for me. My hope is that Christ died for me. My hope is that he obeyed for me. My hope that is that salvation was taken care of in Christ because if it's left for me, the Bible says that by flesh, no man, no man can keep the things of God, can please God. Everything is filthy rags. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. The evidence of God's internal work of giving me a heart of flesh to be able to receive the things that I once thought was foolish. To receive the things that I thought, this isn't how salvation works. Salvation has to come by men's activities. Whether it's mine or the preachers or the churches or somebody's. Isaiah 53 verse 1 says, Who hath believed our report? That's the question. That's the question he was asking. How can they hear unless someone is sent to them? And he said, well, wait a minute. Have they not heard? But as Isaiah says, Who hath believed our report? 
And brethren, you've heard me preach on this many times. And I say the answer to question number one comes in question number two. And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? The one who believes the report or the gospel is the one unto whom the arm of the Lord has been revealed. God's power. What is the power? The Bible says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. The preaching of the gospel? No, the content of the gospel. The content of the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It's God having the power to take someone who is dead in trespasses and sin and bring him to spiritual life to be able to hear the things that to him is foolishness, but now all of a sudden he hears those foolish things again, and whenever he hears them, <clears throat> by the faith that has been given to him by God, receives them as truth and believes and hopes upon them. The power of God... The arm of the Lord. That's what the arm of the Lord represents is the power of God. To whom have the arm of the Lord revealed it? Who is the power of God came in and revealed these things to? Because without being revealed, no one's going to believe them. They have to be revealed by the Spirit. Me preaching it doesn't reveal it. You reading it in the Bible isn't going to reveal it. That reveals it to the carnal mind. It reveals it to the carnal intellect. It reveals it to the carnal perceptions of things. And then once it's into the carnal mind, the carnal perception of things, then it begins to uh, be reasoned out by carnal intellect. And then our traditions come in. Oh, well, yeah, this is what that guy said. Oh, yeah, this is what this church teaches. Oh, yeah, I remember. That's how I grew up. That's what my mama said. That's what my granddaddy said. That's what my uncle said. That's what my brother said. Tradition comes in. But brother, whenever the Spirit of God, the arm of the Lord, the power of God comes in and changes the heart and gives you a spiritual life instead of a carnal life, that spiritual life now receives spiritual preaching, spiritual teaching. And the Spirit comes in and says, that's not the truth. This is the truth. And grant you repentance to turn from the false truth to the truth and believe it. That's faith. Faith is turning, or excuse me, repentance is turning from wrong thinking about salvation to right thinking about salvation. It's not turning from doing sin to not doing sin because we continue to sin, brethren. Repentance is turning from righteousness as a thing that we can uh, accomplish ourselves to all righteousness was done by Christ and given to me. I have no righteousness of my own. The arm of the Lord reveals that to us. Until the arm of the Lord reveals that to us, no one will believe the report. So the question of how can they believe if we don't send a preacher to them, Paul is making the argumentation 
It doesn't matter how many preachers are sent to them. There were lots of preachers that were sent to them in the Old Testament, and they still didn't submit to the righteousness which is of Christ. They continued to try to establish their own righteousness. Therefore, the preaching from a man cannot do anything. The only thing that can change the person to begin to believe the report is for there to be an internal teaching, an internal preaching, an internal gospel work in the heart. And only the one that can do that is the power of God. The arm of the Lord reveals that. It is the arm of the Lord that reveals that. Who hath believed our report and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? That's who does that. Turn with me if you would to John chapter 12. John chapter 12, and look with me, <clears throat> if you would. Verse 37 says, But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not him. See, here again, even up till Jesus' day. See, first it was the prophets. It was Moses and the prophets. All proclaiming, Abraham proclaiming, Christ, their Messiah, the one to come. They were proclaimed, the gospel was being proclaimed, not in its clarity as we know it today, but it surely was being preached. We know it's been preached because the New Testament tells us that the gospel was preached to them back in those days. Jesus made it very clear that everything in the whole entire book, and at that time when that was said, that was everything in the Old Testament, the volume of the book was about him. So everything that was being taught in the Old Testament was being taught of Christ. And yet they didn't believe. There were some that didn't believe. And even here, now we have Jesus, who is the best preacher, who is the one who has the most knowledge of the subject, who knows the heart of every man, has now come and preached to them, has performed miracles that only God can do, and yet it says that they believe not on him. So you think that Jesus Christ himself, who comes and preaches and performs miracles to back up his preaching, and yet somebody doesn't believe on him, you think you can go out there and convert souls? You think you can go out there and convert souls? Listen, the reason those people did not believe is because they never were intended to believe. The reason they did not believe on Jesus is because they were not Jesus' sheep. Let's read on. But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him that the saying of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spake, Lord, who hath believed our report? There it is again. Who hath believed our report? We went and we went and preached. We've been sent to preach. But who has believed our report? And he says, and to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe, because that Isaiah said again, he hath blinded their eyes and hardened their heart that they should not see with their eyes, 
nor understand with their heart and be converted, and I should heal them. These things said Isaiah when he saw his glory and spake of him. That, that was in Isaiah 6. When he saw Christ sitting on the throne, high and lifted up, and he trying to fill the temple, and everything shook whenever his... Uh, whenever they cried, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. That's what Isaiah saw. That's what Isaiah was told. I'm going to go and I'm going to blind their eyes and I'm going to stop up their ears and I'm going to harden their hearts and they're not going to believe on me because they're not intended to believe. They're not intended to hear. The only ones that are going to do is whom the arm of the Lord reveals it to. Why? Why? Ecclesiastes 3.14. So that men might fear before him. So that he might not share his glory with anybody. So that he might receive all praise and glory for the salvation that people receive. He says here, Jesus himself appeals back to that same argument. The only one that believes the report is the one to whom the arm of the Lord reveals it. He hasn't revealed it here. Look at John chapter 8. If you would. John chapter 8. And look with me if you would. At verse. <clears throat> 42. Jesus said unto them. If God were your father. You would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself. But he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? See God sent. There was somebody who was sent. How can they know unless somebody is sent. There has to be a preacher that's sent. God sent the preacher. He sent Jesus. And Jesus spoke, but they didn't understand his speech. Why do you not understand my speech? Even because. Here's the reason. Why do people not believe the report? Why is the preaching of the preacher not effective? Why is taking this Bible and expounding its word not effective in saving people? Why can it not be the hope of salvation, the preaching of the gospel that is? How come the preaching of the gospel to lost souls isn't the effective uh, hope that we have for their salvation? Because this right here. You do not understand my speech because you cannot hear my word. That's the problem. Me as a preacher, I cannot make you hear the gospel. I cannot make you hear it and understand it. No matter how simple I put it, no matter, I can get out here and draw pictures all day long and you're not going to get it. You're not going to believe it. It's not going to, you might get it in here and say, well, there's the facts. I know the facts. My dad taught me sovereign grace my whole entire life that we're not saved by our will. We're not saved by our choice. We're not saved by this or that. We're only saved by Jesus alone. You can have all those, uh, that knowledge in your head, kids, but listen to me. If God doesn't put that in your heart, you'll never understand. He says, you cannot hear my words. I can't make you hear. The preacher is never going to make you hear. Only God can make you hear. The Bible says in Proverbs 20 and verse 12, the hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord hath made both of them. Not the preaching of the gospel. The Lord hath made both of them. Jesus said, ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because 
There is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, ye believe me not. Which of you convinceth me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. People who give this objection to God do with it, no one can put to it, no one can take away from it. Whenever we say that salvation is out of the hands of man, and they come with these objections, well, I guess we don't preach the gospel to anybody anymore, or, wait a minute, preaching the gospel is essential because nobody can get saved without the preacher. They do not understand the gospel. They don't understand the gospel. They're still believing a false gospel, and that true gospel doesn't fit their traditional gospel, which is false, therefore, what do they think about this true gospel? Why do they even put these objections up here? Because it's foolishness to them. The gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing. The gospel is foolishness to the carnal mind. They have not been given belief yet if they are the child of grace. If they're not the child of grace, they'll never be given to believe it, and they will continue to scoff and mock and and follow after their traditions, follow after their religious activity. But for the child of grace who has been given faith, they have been given repentance to turn from thinking that way and to turn to thinking on the gospel the way that Christ has preached it, and they hear it. And not only do they hear it and comprehend it, but it gets down into their heart where that faith now is mixed with the truth and it is now believed on. That's the difference. That's why we do need to preach it, but brethren, it isn't the preaching of men, it's the preaching of Christ. Unless Christ preaches that gospel to the heart, the heart will never open and believe it. Look, if you would, at Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 22. Wait a minute. I'm sorry, verse 2. <laughs> it says, For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Now, I've heard people, and I've heard this my whole entire life. I used to say it myself. <clears throat> there you go. The reason... The reason they're not saved is whenever they heard the word preached, they didn't mix it with faith and believe it. As if we can do that. Again, I take you back to the clear teachings of Scripture. Faith is not something that we can exercise or activate at will. Faith is a gift of God. Faith is something that is given unto us to do. Faith is measured out to us by Christ. Therefore, I can't just mix faith. Well, I heard that message. Well, I'm, I'm going to believe that. No, faith comes in 
whenever God opens the heart and teaches it that that is true. See, it, it truly is in, in some aspects Truth is something that comes in that whenever the mind perceives that which is true, it now goes down into the will and believes that that is true because it now knows that that's the truth. But brethren, listen. That's why you can't separate the head from the heart. The reason that we believe, the head can believe something, but the heart not fully be into it. You can believe that i got to do all this work that my boss told me to do, but my heart's not in it. I believe that that's my duty to do, but my heart's not in it. There's a lot of times I get up and have to go to work, and it's my duty to go to work. I have I have covenanted with my boss that if you pay me, I'll go and do the work that you tell me to do. And so he tells me to go out to here. Well, today I don't feel like going out there. I know that's my duty. And I get up and I drag myself out of bed and I get in that van out there and I drive all the miles I got to drive and I go work on the things that I got to work on, get dirty, get nasty, get talked too bad, get whatever, drag myself home at night. I do that, but my heart may not be in that. My heart may not be in it at all. Why? Because I know that's what I ought to do, but that's not really what I want to do. Faith is something that I can't control. Faith is something that God gives to me. Faith is something that he measures out to me and measure. And faith is something that he grows exponentially as he sees fit. And truth is something that he reveals to me. So I don't have any control over any of that. He controls the truth. He controls the faith. He controls how much of that comes together in me. And how much of that is sunk down into this heart to believe? It's all on him, brethren. He is the great preacher. He is the great teacher. He is the one that unless a man is taught of God, he will not be taught of all. You have no need that any man be your teacher, for they shall all be taught of God. Christ has to be our teacher. And we trust him to be that faithful teacher. He's not going to be an unfaithful teacher. He's not going to let some slip through the cracks. He's not going to make it unclear to them. He is going to teach them. And listen, brother, how better to teach and to reach every lost child of grace that's out there in this world as it's been scattered from every four corners of the world than the person who not only knows where they're at, but is the only one who can effectively speak to their heart where that they can believe what's being said to them. See, if it's up to the preacher, he might not get there. If it's up to the preacher, he might say something wrong. If it's up to the preacher, it's not going to happen. Only the great preacher can make it happen. He says, it was not mixed with faith in them that heard it. Brethren, it wasn't mixed with faith because it wasn't given. They weren't given faith, not because they didn't take their faith and mix it with it. So God has to reveal these things. Christ has to reveal these things. <clears throat> so the word of God that, that reveals these things is not this word, not this word, the word of God. Christ is the word of God. Faith cometh by hearing, and I don't have any problem with that. Whenever we have been given faith of Christ, and Christ reveals the things and teaches things to our heart, 
whenever we read God's word, when we hear things preached, it does, and it, it enlightens faith, but it doesn't create it. It doesn't initialize it. It doesn't quicken the heart. It feeds the soul. Faith comes by hearing, but hearing by the word of God, not by the preaching of the word of God, but by the word of God, Christ himself. It comes by the command. Hearing comes by the command of God. That word there, the word word, we know that there's two words in the Greek for that. There is logos. The word logos is often spoken of when it's talking about Christ as in a name. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. The word there in Greek is logos, but it's speaking of Christ. Christ is the logos. But there's another Greek word for the word word, and that is rhema. And that word rhema means the command of God. It's a fiat, the the command of God. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the command of God. Now, brethren, this is what fits into the Bible context perfectly. Whenever you put it the other way around, whenever it's talking about the preacher, it don't fit in context with the Word of God because the Word of God tells us that faith doesn't come by the work of men. It comes by the gift of God measured out by Christ. And the truth is not something that we can believe. It has to be revealed by the arm of the Lord. So if it's the arm of the Lord that has to reveal it, if it's faith that only comes from Him and it's only measured out by Him, then the preacher comes in and it's up to him to get it done. There, that doesn't make sense. The only way that this fits with all the rest of what Scripture teaches about faith and about the gospel is that the Word of God here is not me preaching this, but it is the command of God, just like the verse said, the seeing eye, the hearing ear, the Lord has made both of them. That has come by the power of God. It is the power of God unto salvation. It is the word of God, the command of God that you be saved. Not only in the work of Christ Jesus, but it is the power of God that you are made spiritually alive. See, that's born from above. The preacher can't get into heaven. That's why Paul made that argument. Can we go into heaven and bring Christ down or go into the depths and bring Christ up? No, we don't do that. How do we do it? By faith. How is faith given to us? It's given to us by God. How is truth ever meted meted out to any? How is truth ever dealt to any person? By revelation. That's only by God. So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the command or by the the fiat, by by the power of God. So the phrase word of God here doesn't mean preaching. Hearing comes whenever God commands, whenever he gives us ears to hear, and he gives us faith to believe. And that faith is is, is fed in it and it enjoins that gospel message as being for us. So that goes all the way back to what we started with. Nothing can be put to it, and nothing can be taken away from it. The preacher isn't putting something to get Christ's salvation by his faithfulness and activity of preaching. And nothing can be taken away from Christ's salvation by the lack of a preacher preaching or the wrongness of the preacher's preaching. Nothing can be taken away from it. 
You're saying, well, preacher, <laughs> then are you just talking about mysticism? That out of nowhere, that God can just create that life without anything? Well, God created life out of nothing when it all started, didn't he? In the beginning was God, and that was it. But yet here we are. Here everything is something made out of nothing. Cannot God make spiritual life and give spiritual life without the work and hands of man? If I err in this, if I err, and I, I can be an error, and if I am, I pray that the Word of God, that the Spirit of God, that the brethren of God that, that knows better can enlighten me and with Scripture, not tradition, not your commentaries, not your theologians, but with Scripture. Show me where cohesively that that works with all Scripture, that there's a different way to look at this. Because if you look at it the way I was saying that I used to look at it, it don't fit. It contradicts itself. Even the sovereign grace people who are saying that they believe in sovereign grace, but yet it's still the gospel that regenerates, they deny everything that they preach about sovereign grace. If they're preaching sovereign grace and then preaching that God has to wait to justify you until you're, 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 uh, you're, you're, you're given faith to believe it, or that you're not saved until you believe from the hearing of a preacher, then you have now contradicted everything that you've said about predestination, election, and sovereign grace. All of that. Completely washed out by that one little phrase that you said, but you have to. But there has to be. That's there. There is no buts in the gospel. It is salvation is of the Lord, but no. Salvation is of the Lord. Period. Period. Man can't take away from it. Man can't put to it. Everything God doeth, he does it. So that men might fear before him. All right. Does anybody have any questions or any comments? Anything? All right. Well, let's bow and have a word of prayer. Lord, we come once again and we thank you for this gospel. We thank you for the grace that is in Christ Jesus. We thank you, Father, <clears throat> that everything for our salvation has been taken out of our hands. Lord, we truly do praise and glory in your predestination, your sovereign control, that this world is not in chaos, it's not out of control, but that you control all things. Particularly in salvation, Father, we know that you control all things that has to do with it. From the very from the very act of salvation and the work of Christ to the very reception of it by the child of grace in time. Lord, we are grateful for all the work that you do. For the perfect plan as the Father, the perfect execution of it as the Son, and the perfect application of it as the Spirit. Find it in our hearts, in our minds, giving us the report revealed 
the heart to receive it, the ears and the eyes to hear it and to see it, the heart to love it, to cherish it, the soul to be warmed and, and fed by it. And Father, we surely aren't belittling preaching. We're not belittling the Word of God in written form. That was never the purpose of this. In my heart, I pray, Lord, it's not been conveyed that way to others. It's never been the importance <clears throat> to take away from the importance of men preaching and the Word of God to be the center of truth and the rule of life. Lord, uh, faith. Uh, but it's to show that these things, while given to us, are not the things that actually make it happen. It is only of God. Lord, that you cannot be deterred in your plan and in your purpose. Father, we glory in that salvation that is of sovereign grace. Because we know as sinners, we could never obey the law to make a righteousness for ourselves. We could never believe because we have not faith. We could never Understand because we do not have spiritual understanding. We truly are beholden to you in every aspect of everything. And so we come to you this morning and ask that you might continue to keep us in this faith. Preserve us till the end, Father, till you take us to be with you. I pray for this church and I ask, Lord, that you might continue to bless it, to minister to it, to add to it as you see fit, to take away as you see fit. Lord, I pray for others that are preaching this gospel, Lord, that you might bless their <clears throat> churches. Lord, that you might strengthen them. In the days to come, this message, I'm sure, as it already is now, is hated by most, especially the religious. But Father, I pray that you would keep them in your word that you have promised. Lord, we pray for your children wherever they're scattered that you as the good shepherd will bring your sheep into the fold. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.